Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Yeah, you guys can clap. That's all right. It's all right. Yeah, we can thank them. We got an awesome worship team. I always love worshiping with, with South Valley. You guys are just an awesome church to worship with every Sunday. Welcome. It's good to see you guys. You know, when we started at 9 o'clock, I was worried that we'd have like 10 people here. And now we have a full room. So that's pretty exciting. So it's a little, little slower start today. But you guys are here, and I'm excited about that. Because today we're continuing our sermon series, Theology 101, Understanding the Basics. Before we get in, though... Somebody came up to me recently and they said, hey, uh, who do you have on this screen? Who are these guys? There's a funky looking hat here. This guy, I don't know what this hair, these hairstyles are. Uh, this guy looks like Chris, the guy that was just singing here on the stage. Who are these people? One person thought that these were the Three Stooges. Okay, this, that's... The, the, these are not the Three Stooges, uh, Larry, Moe, and Curly, is that right, the Three Stooges? Okay, this is not the Three Stooges, these are theologians, all right? So this guy here, this is Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers of all time, a preacher from the 1800s in England, prince of preachers, all right? That's what you're looking at here. This, this guy I'm going to talk about in a moment, this guy right here is St. Is Augustine. And St. Augustine is from 300 A.D. He's a church father. He wrote the book Confessions or The City of God. He's a philosopher. You probably learned about him in school. This guy with the cool wig right here. We need to bring these. No, we don't need to bring these back. No, let's just keep those in the past. But this guy, Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards from the 1700s. He's the greatest preacher in American history, Jonathan Edwards. He, he inspired the first great awakening in America. And so our history as Americans, we're, we're indebted to this man and the work that this man did and uh, spreading the gospel through, throughout the country, the first great awakening. And then this guy with the cool looking hat right here, that's Martin Luther. And we're going to talk today about Martin Luther because today's topic is how can I be saved? That's today's topic. So we got a lot to cover. As you've seen throughout this series, we have had a lot of content every week, and we still got content coming. I'm going to do my best to give you some good bits of information and theology and also sprinkle in some application. We got some ground to cover, though, so you guys pray with me, and let's get into it. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for the reminder of your grace and of your goodness as we worshiped this morning. We have so many reasons to praise you. Even when the world is shaking, even when things are hard, you are still good, you are still gracious, you are still merciful, and life is a gift. I pray, God, that we would never take your grace for granted, that we would never take your lavish love for granted, that we would never take for granted the fact that you love us so much that you gave your son to die for us, to do what we could never do so that we might be made one with you, not only having hope in this life, but also hope in the life to come. Fill us with that hope this morning. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, so today's sermon is going to be in the form of a question. And the question is this, how is a person saved? That's the question today. This is actually the most important question a person could ask. 
There are lots of great questions to ask in life, lots of things that, that we're presented with in life or we're, we're wondering what the answers are. But this here is the number one question in life. How is a person saved? Well, it's no secret that life on earth is incredibly short. Have you guys realized that? I realize that every day as a dad. Okay, last night I had to carry my daughter upstairs to her bedroom because she fell asleep in my arms. I struggled. Let me just tell you, I struggled. She used to be this big and now she's this big. Life is short. It goes so fast. A friend of mine once tried to explain to me how short life on earth is compared to the timeline of eternity. And he said, imagine you're at the beach. And you look out at the ocean, there is more water than the human mind can even comprehend. Go down into that water, put your hand in the water, pull out your hand, and watch as a single drop of water, a tiny little drop, falls from the tip of your finger. That little drop is your life on this earth. That vast ocean represents the vast ocean of eternity, Our lives are just a drop in the ocean, a drop in the bucket, a blip on the timeline of forever. And so he encouraged me with that illustration. Ricky, what life are you living for? Are you focused on the drop and filling up that drop with toys and whatever you need to, you think you need to be happy in the moment and forgetting about the things that will really last because the wise person focuses will focus on what will last forever. Can I get an amen? They focus on eternity. Which life are you living for, the drop or for what will last? Well, the Bible says that our lives are a mist that's here for a moment and then vanishes. Look at this James passage, James 4.14. Your life is like the morning fog. You guys know a thing or two about that. Your life is like the morning fog. It's here for a little while, and then it's gone. Except for here in Lemoore, it's kind of here for a while, while. But then it's gone. That's life. The psalmist says it this way, David. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered. How fleeing my life is. You've made me no longer than the width of my hand, my entire Lifetime is just a moment to you at best. Each one of us is but a breath. The Bible also compares our lives to flowers, wild flowers. One thing that's beautiful at this springtime, you drive around, you guys see wild flowers everywhere. They're beautiful, right? Where I'm from, we had poppies everywhere. Just, just fields and fields and fields of poppies. Everything is orange right now in Palmdale, Lancaster, where I used to live. There's flowers everywhere. And as beautiful as those flowers are, What happens a month from now? What happens to those flowers? They what? They vanish. They're gone. Peter says this, people are like grass and their beauty is like a flower in the field. He's talking about wild flowers. The grass withers, the flower fades. But you know what? The word of the Lord remains forever. There are things that remain forever. In fact, One thing that will remain forever is your soul. You aren't a a, a soul, you aren't a body that just happens to have a soul. You are a soul that just so happens to have a body. Okay, when, when, when you breathe your last breath, that's not the end of your existence. 
There is life beyond this life. And at the end of our lives, each and every one of us, we will all stand before the God who made us, the God who loves us, the God who gave us breath in our lungs. And we will go on to, 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 to see him face to face. And so going back to this question, the most important question of all time, which is this, how is a person saved? How can a fallen, sinful creature like you and I, people who struggle with sin, people who struggle with rebellion, how could we who are imperfect stand in the presence of a perfect, holy, just God? How can we actually stand in, in, in the sight of somebody so righteous, so pure? How could we stand? How could we possibly be atoned for our sins? How can we possibly deal with the record of debt that we accumulate in our lives? How can we be made right with God? That is the most important question in all of human history. And throughout history, and throughout the history of the church, there have been two opposing views on this topic. And these two views are centered around three words. You guys want to see the three words? The three words are this. Salvation, works, grace. Salvation, that is being made right with God, being one with God, having eternal life. Works, that's doing righteous deeds, that's fulfilling the law, obeying God's commandments, living a life that loves God, loves others, that, that's, that's righteous and holy and just, that's works. And then the other is grace, that's God's unmerited favor, his love, his lavish love, the giving of his son, uh, his, his kindness and patience with us, that's grace. Now here's the question, here's the debate throughout history, here's the debate. You want to know what the debate is? What order, go back, sorry, sorry, went too fast there. What order do these three words go in? What order, if you had to use these three words to describe and explain salvation, what order would you place these three words in? Well, throughout human history, there have been two major views here. The first is something called the Roman Catholic view. The Roman Catholic view. Anybody here have a Catholic background? Uh, maybe you're baptizing. Okay, a number of you. I, I've noticed that here out in this community. Number of people with a Catholic background. We just want you to know we love you and we're so grateful for you and, and great, just grateful you're with us here today. If you've had a Roman Catholic background, then, then this is the, the, the formula for salvation that you were taught. You were taught, and it's a formula, God's grace Plus, your good works, your righteousness, will equal your salvation. Now, here's the thing, though. God's grace and your works, it, it should equal salvation, but it doesn't always equal. You don't know for sure if you're saved, okay? According to this system, you can never really know if you're truly saved. So that's one way to use those three words. The other way to use those three words is what we call the Protestant view. And the Protestant view isn't actually a formula. It's more of a sequence of events. God's grace leads to salvation. His love, his grace, his mercy, the giving of his son, the giving of his spirit, when you believe in him and trust him, leads to your salvation. And then when you are saved, regenerated, as we talked about last week, about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes into you, transforms you, and empowers you to do what? To live a righteous lifestyle, to live a new life. Grace leads to salvation, which leads 
to works. So in view number one, you play a major role in earning your salvation. If you do enough good things, if you live a moral enough life, if you participate in church-sanctioned activities, if you avoid certain sins, then maybe, just maybe, you will be good enough to get into God's presence in a place called heaven. View number two is that you can't do enough good deeds to appease a perfect God. You can't make up for your sin. You can't Be perfect and righteous and holy and good all on your own. So God did it for you by sending his son in your place. To live a life that you couldn't live, a righteous, perfect, holy, just life. To die a death that you deserve to die, the death of a sinner, somebody who is separated from God, and to raise again for your salvation so that you could be sealed by the promised Holy Spirit and know him. In all of those things, you are justified in his sight through one word. You know what that word is? Faith. Faith alone justifies. So that's system number two. System number one is good works plus grace equals salvation. System number two is God's grace leads to salvation, which leads to works, and it's all received by what's the good word here? Faith. By faith. Now, to help us understand the significance of these two views, I want to go back in time, and I want to tell you a little more about a German monk by the name of Martin Luther. Anybody like history in here? Okay, for the four of you, you, you're about to be really happy right now. The rest of you, if you need coffee, get it out, all right? Get that coffee out. Don't, don't lo- I don't want to lose you here because this stuff matters. It's really important. So I want to start by talking really quickly about a monk. So this is that, that guy with the weird hat, funky hat on the, on the previous slides. This is a guy named Martin Luther. And on October 31st, Martin Luther, he's a German monk. October 31st, 1517, a 33-year-old monk by the name of Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Castle Church in Germany. You probably learned about this in school. You had to learn about this in history because it forever reshaped the landscape of history. And the words that he penned that day, they caused such a commotion that they were copied. They were copied copiously and sent around the world until eventually he became front page news and the center of one of the biggest historical cultural moments in all of humanity. Martin Luther. So what was the big deal? What was Martin Luther doing with these 95 theses? Why was he nailing this document to the door of the church? And why did his words cause a commotion and reform history? Well, Luther's 95 theses, they were written to protest. So I talked about Catholic salvation and I talked about Protestant salvation. This is a Protestant church. What's the root of the word Protestant? protest. Luther wrote the 95 Theses to protest abuse, the abuse of power that had popped up in the church of his day. You see, in the church of Martin Luther's day, they had turned salvation into a commodity that could be bought and sold through the issue of indulgences. I got a definition of indulgences. Indulgences, this is, a, this is something that you learn about in the, in the Catholic system. Indulgences are a form of penance issued as a way to reduce the amount of punishment one has to undergo for sins. Those are indulgences. Well, in Martin Luther's day, 
Indulgences were being sold to reduce the amount of punishment or time that you would pay for your sins. They were promoted in the church. And if you did certain behaviors, you would get off on, uh, from sin on good behavior. And these, these indulgences were so corrupted that they, they were turned into this money-making enterprise. And they were so out of hand that there, there were literally salesmen being sent from town to town to sell these indulgences in order to sell salvation. One campaigner by the name of John Tutsell, he had a famous jingle when he'd go from town to town to sell salvation. He said this, he said, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. That was their message. Town to town, you want to be saved? Buy an indulgence. You want to know God? Show me some money. It was corrupt. It was an abuse of power. It's why Martin Luther wrote his 95 theses and nailed them to the Wittenberg door. And these indulgences, they weren't just sold for you so that you could get out of sin, so that you could get out of punishment. You could also buy them for your loved ones so that they would spend less time in purgatory and get out of their punishments. Now, to help you guys understand this system of salvation, I have an infographic for you. Now, I, I know this is like overwhelming, okay? So welcome back to, to school, guys. Uh, welcome back to school. I'm, I'm showing you guys this stuff. I don't want to lose you here with just information. This stuff really matters because it shapes theology, okay? So hang with me. Please hang with me. I hope you enjoy this. I, I know I enjoy this maybe a little too much. Okay, so how was, what, what did salvation look like in Luther's day? Well, let, let me just explain it to you with this infographic. Everyone born is born into sin, right? For all have What? sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, so it starts off right. We are, as human beings, we are not born one with God. We are not born walking with God. We are born separated from God. Our sin has separated us from a perfect, we don't even understand perfection. God is perfect and holy and just and righteous and good in every way, and our sin separates us from him. So we're born into sin. So the question is, how do we get back to God? That's the question. How can I be saved? Our question for today. Well, in Luther's day, this was the system. You're born into sin. If you want to get saved, the first thing you have to do is you need to get baptized. And so in Luther's day, they taught something called baptismal regeneration. That means when you get baptized in that moment, your sins are washed and you are saved. You are, you are forever, you are saved in that moment, forgiven, washed white as snow, baptismal regeneration. Here at this church, we, we teach believers baptism. When you get baptized in our water, that's just regular Lemoore water, Okay. Nothing fancy happens in that water. But that water represents something fancy already happening in you. That's when you receive Jesus, you receive the who? Who did we talk about last week? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who regenerates you. And the water is a picture of regeneration. Baptism, we, don't, we believe in believer's baptism. They taught baptismal regeneration. So you get baptized. When you get baptized, you're saved, and you enter into a state of grace. And once you're in this state of grace, here's the thing. You can't really, you, you want to die in the state of grace. That's, how you, that's where you want to be when you die. The problem is it's hard to stay in the state of grace because we're sinners, right? We, we are, you know, 49ers lose, and we yell something at the TV. We shouldn't, and we're out of the state of grace, 
we, uh, we you know, make an extra round to the dessert section at the, at the buffet. And, and I don't know, maybe that's not a sin. But may, I don't know, maybe it is. Who knows? Lots of different things that we think and say and do that knock us out of that state of grace. And there's two kinds of sins in this system. There, there's venial sins and there's mortal sins. Mortal sins cut you off from God, they cut you off from the church. And so once you're knocked out of the state of grace, what do you got to do to get back into a state of grace? Well, the first thing you got to do is you got to confess to a priest. Okay, you, you can't confess to Jesus, even though there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You have to go and formally share what you've done and confess them in a private confession with a priest. And then after that, you'll get something called penance. He will give you some form of penance. Penance includes things like mass. Penance includes things like Hail Marys, saying so many Hail Marys. It, includes, it could include things like good deeds, like visiting a soup kitchen and helping out. But in, in, in these days, number one penance when you did something wrong and you needed to get back into God's grace, we, we learned this word just a second ago. What do you think the number one penance was in Martin Luther's day? Indulgences. You want to get back into a state of grace? Show me the money. You could buy your salvation. Not only that, but you, could, you, could, you can actually help your loved ones and their salvation through indulgences. And so this system, it's relentless. You're in grace, you're out of grace, in grace, out of grace, until finally you pass away. And, and the problem is no one ever passes away in a perfect state of grace. Uh, and so you have to go next to a place called purgatory. And purgatory is this place where you burn off the rest of your sins that you didn't confess, that you failed to confess. And any penance that was left unresolved, you had to pay for that time in a place called purgatory. And you could remain in purgatory for thousands of years, up to millions of years. And then once finally, unless you had some people back home were do, who were doing things for you, like buying indulgences to get you out sooner. And you would stay in there until you're finally burned off. And then finally you can get to God, maybe, just maybe, one day in your future you would see God. That is the system of salvation. So that's system number one. Catholic system is this. Uh, grace plus works equals salvation. In this religious system, especially in Martin Luther's day, okay, it was, it was corrupted in Martin Luther's day. They've since reformed a, a number of things. And so I don't want to bash on Catholics here this morning. That's not the intent. I just want to show you two opposing views. But this system, it's centered on your own righteousness. Do good, work hard, avoid sin, make up for your wrongs, and maybe, just maybe, you will do enough to be saved. But if you forget to confess something, you have a problem. If you did something that's too big, you have a problem. You got to work, work, work to earn God's love. That's system number one. And do you know what Jesus says, though, about the heavy load of works-based righteousness. Have you guys ever tried to be perfect? Have you ever tried to walk perfectly with God? Have you ever tried to discipline your kids perfectly? Have you ever tried to do marriage perfectly? Have you ever tried to do work perfectly? Have you ever tried to have perfect thoughts? If you've ever tried, then you either want, if you think that you can do it, we need to pray for you, okay? But in the midst of trying it, if you've ever felt like, man, this is impossible, welcome to the human race. You see, Jesus 
He didn't come to give you a system of do more, try hard, be better, practice penance, work, 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 and maybe, just maybe, you will come to me and I will love you and embrace you and forgive you. But you got to show me you're worth it. He doesn't say that. You know what Jesus' message is to sinners? You know what Jesus' message is to people with a broken past? Do you know what Jesus' message is to people who have been damaged by others? Who have damaged their own lives through bad choices? Who have caused others to, to, to hurt? Who are stuck in addiction? Who have, done, who have sinned in certain ways, shapes, or forms? You know what Jesus' message to them is? It's one word. It's one word, and it's this. Come. Come to me. I don't know where you're at today, what you've done, or what you've experienced. But when it comes to this, this message of salvation, Jesus has one word for you this morning, South Valley, and it's this. Come. He says this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay, we, we should be clapping for this one. And so, so here's the thing. The context of these words from Jesus, the rest that Jesus is talking about in here is rest from working for his love. That's the rest. The, the rest that Jesus talks about in this verse right here is rest that is juxtaposed to a life of always trying to be good enough. A life of always trying to earn it. A life of always trying to deserve it. Because in Jesus' day, something was happening that was similar to Martin Luther's day in that the religious leaders were preaching, hey, you don't, you, what you actually need to be forgiven and to be loved is you need to obey these laws. And you don't just need to obey these laws. You also need to obey the special laws that we've created for you. And once you obey these laws, and once you look like us and talk like us and dress like us, then and only then will you finally maybe just get to be good enough for God. And so the people that Jesus ministered to and the people that Martin Luther ministered to, you know what they were feeling in their system? What they were feeling as they were trying to understand God? They were feeling burdened, heavy, heavy because of their past, heavy because of their mistakes, heavy because of their sins, heavy because of their regrets. And Jesus saw this heavy system and he said, hey, 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 I'm, I'm not here to add weight on your shoulders. I'm actually here to give you rest. By grace you're saved through faith. If you just trust me, I'll give you rest. Well, Martin Luther, he discovered that while the religious leaders sought to add burdens, Jesus actually came to lift those burdens. Guys like Martin Luther in their day, they'd go above and beyond to cleanse their sins, they would even beat their bodies to a pulp. They, they would flog themselves and bloody themselves and fast for days on end just to be noticed by God, to the verge of death, having 
purged their body of everything, and still they weren't feeling like they could be good enough for God. He said this, uh, talking about his time as a monk. He said, if anyone could have earned heaven by the life of a monk doing everything right all the time, it was me. But Luther realized, man, when he thought about the righteousness of God, he hated the righteousness of God because he felt like no matter what I did and how hard I tried, God would never love me. He could never love me until one day Martin Luther, he was reading Romans chapter 1, and he came across this passage in Romans 1 that forever changed how he saw the world and opened his eyes. It says this, Paul writes, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by what? Faith. Not a righteousness that's by works. Not a righteousness that's by a system of of doing what it takes to be noticed by God, but by faith from first to last, the beginning to the end. The whole thing is by faith. Just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. Martin Luther, he read those words, and this is what he says about his, 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 the moment that he was converted. He said, at last, meditating day and night by the mercy of God, I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that through which the righteous live by a gift of God, namely by faith. Here I felt as if I were entirely born again and had entered paradise itself through the gates that had been flung open. He was born again. That's conversion. That's new birth. Now, when I think about this, when I think about Jesus, when I think about Luther, when I think about this topic, it makes me think of an illustration I shared with you guys. Let me get it back here. Uh, my first sermon with you guys, I, I actually used a, a life jacket as an illustration. You guys remember this? I came in with this life jacket that, that first weekend, and, and people thought I was bringing in a, a, a bulletproof vest. Like, no, I'm not afraid of you guys. I love you guys. I trust you guys. Okay, so... When I think of Jesus' plan for salvation, I think of a life jacket. You see, because all these other systems, when religious people see broken people drowning in their sins, their response is try harder, do better, God helps those who help themselves. You got yourself into this thing. Now it's time to get your, yourself out of this thing. But here's the thing. The last thing a drowning person needs is more weight on their back. I've, I, I've been rescued before out of the ocean. I've been rescued. I remember one time I was boogie boarding with some friends and, and, and a swell came out of nowhere. And, and it was so big that they, could, they, they couldn't get to us on a boat it just came out of nowhere. I think there's an earthquake or something in the ocean. These giant waves are coming, and we're boogie boarding, and, and we have to dive down to the bottom of the ocean and hold on to the ground as, as tight as we can as these waves are coming over. And then, and then the, the, the lifeguard, he ended up just having to ditch me. He's like, dude, you're on your own. I can't help you. He just ditched me. So I'm trying, and I'm getting my boogie board off of my foot, trying to do everything I can. You imagine if I was in the middle of that, and the lifeguard came and said, hey, dude, hold on to this brick. This will help you out. I mean, I know you're, I know you're drowning, but, but you know what would be really good for you is if you just worked harder. Like, you need to work out more. Put these weights in your hand. You're too weak. Get it together. You know what Jesus does to drowning people? You know what Jesus' burden is like when he sees drowning people? He doesn't look at them and say, be better. Try harder. Get it together. He says, here, take my yoke. You're drowning You're hurting, you're sinking, take my yoke. 
Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And and I'm sharing this message with you guys today. And and I don't know if it's hitting home right now or not. But I'm sharing this with you because I know through conversations I've had with people in this church. And maybe this is just a select few people in our church. But there are people drowning in our church. There are people drowning in our church. And many of the people who are drowning in our church are afraid to say that they're drowning. Because they feel like the moment they open their mouth and tell others that they are struggling and that they're hurting and that they're lost and that they're addicted and that they're dealing with this and that they're hiding these things in the dark. They feel like the moment they open their mouth, instead of a life jacket, they're going to get a ton of bricks. That's what they feel. Jesus is saying, come. Some of you today, I don't know what kind of burden you came carrying this morning. Maybe your burden is the burden of sin. Whatever that burden is, Jesus is saying, come, take my yoke upon you. Maybe your burden this morning is the burden of suffering. You've been dealing with things that are heavy and hard and it beats you up. And just getting into church today was really hard. That's why you were 15 minutes late. That's why we're forgiving around here, okay? You were late because you were not even going to come. It's cold outside, your body hurts, you're angry. Why am I going to go to church? Jesus is saying, come. I'll lift you up. His, his burden is like a balloon. It doesn't weigh you down, it buoys you, it lifts you up. Maybe some of you today have been burdened by self-righteousness, by, by a system of rules. Oh, the Christianity passed down to you was always about doing enough, trying hard enough. God isn't loving. God's not a gentle savior. He's an angry taskmaster in the sky who hates you, and you never get it right. And Jesus is saying, forget all that. That's a lie take my yoke I'll lift you up I'll carry you I'll make you whole again if you're laboring this morning to smooth out your life Jesus is saying come if you're burdened by things that are outside of your control Jesus is saying come if you're doing all that you can to hold it all together and you realize you don't have much left Jesus is saying, come. It's your burden that qualifies you, and his rest for you is a gift. I'm going to have the band come back up now. We're going to sing a song, but before we do, I want want to show you something here. I showed you guys an illustration of a a religious system and the view of salvation. There There were eight arrows on that chart, eight arrows on that chart. Do you know how many arrows are on the Protestant chart? Anybody want to guess how many arrows are on the Protestant chart? There were eight on the other. How many arrows are on the Protestant chart? Let's take a look. Here we go. Two. Two arrows. If you wanted an illustration of salvation, a simple illustration to see what it looks like to be declared righteous, to be forgiven, to be accepted, to be made one with God, here is your illustration. And here's the message. Our unrighteousness, everything that we have done wrong, every sin that we've committed, when we confess our sin to Jesus, when we believe in him, our past, our hurts, our habits, our hang-ups, even now, from now until forever, everything is given to Jesus, imputed to him, credited to his account. Everything. Everything. And then Jesus, his perfect life, his perfect fulfillment of the law, his ability as the son of God to live 
righteously as our representative everything that he has done, everything that he accomplished, his righteousness. Jesus has no unrighteousness in him at all. His righteousness, the moment you believe, the moment you confess, the moment you say, Jesus, I am in, and you declare your faith, your unrighteousness is given to him and paid for in full. His righteousness is given to you, and you are declared in that moment righteous in the sight of God. It's called justification. And so here is the message now. If you are saved, even though you're going to blow it, even though you're going to mess up, even though you're going to struggle with sin, at the end of the day, when Jesus sees you, when the Father looks at you, when you pass from this world and you enter into the next life and you stand before the, 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 the throne room of God, do you know what God sees when he sees you? He doesn't see the old you. He doesn't see the unrighteous you. He doesn't see the sinful you. He sees his perfect son on you because you are in Christ. Everything that Jesus did is credited to you. We call it the great exchange. And that's why Paul in Galatians, he says it this way, Galatians 2.20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live, I live in the flesh. Uh, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. This is the gospel message. This is how you are saved. You are saved by faith alone in the, in the name of Jesus alone, to the glory of God alone, by his grace alone. That is our salvation. And that's what I wanted to share with you today. Application, four ways to apply this message. Number one, it's time to let go of the false saviors. It's time. It's time to stop telling yourself, you know what, maybe if I do this thing, then God will actually love me. Maybe if I do that thing, then I'll actually forgive myself. If Jesus can forgive you, you can forgive you. If Jesus is cross and resurrection is enough, then Jesus is enough. The gospel message is not due. The gospel message is done. Paid for in full. And so I don't know what kind of false saviors you're holding on to. Things that you're holding on to to find your value, to find your worth, to, 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 to feel like maybe you can belong in the church or maybe you can belong in the presence. You belong if you belong to Jesus. That's the prerequisite. That's all there is to it. So let go of the false saviors. Let go of the feeling of I need to fix my past and, and, and make up for my wrongs. Jesus made up for your wrongs. It's time to let it go. Number two, that's number one. We'll do number one again. Oh, there it is, too. There it is. Okay, receive Jesus. I'm like, that was a long number, number one. Okay, receive Jesus like a child. Receive Jesus like a child. So what I'm telling you guys today, some of you are sitting here today and you're thinking like, man, I've heard this a million times. Like, what's so, you, you've lost your childlikeness. What was it like when you first fell in love with the Lord? Get back to that. 
get back to the simple gospel. You see, the simple go- you don't start at the simple gospel and then move on to bigger. This, this theology 101 thing is not about moving on to bigger and better things. This theology 101 thing is about getting back to the things that really matter, the things that are at the center of our faith, the things that buoy us throughout life. It's time to get back to a simple faith, a simple gospel. Receive Jesus like a child. You knew what it was like when you trusted, when you believed, when you were in awe of God. And at some point in your life, you lost that awe. You used to raise your hands, but now you keep them in your pocket. You used to, to, to open up your mouth in, in, in prayer, but now you, you don't have time. Get back to a childlike faith in awe of the message of the gospel. Number three, simple way to apply this, celebrate Good Friday with us, celebrate Easter with us. So this Good Friday, we're gonna do something special. We only have room for 500 people, so there's a limited space for this because we're gonna have tacos there, we're gonna have food there, and our vendors need to know, so make sure you register if you wanna go because registration will close. But here's the thing, we want to take a moment to reflect on the gospel as a church. We wanna show up here and we're gonna fast for for 24 hours. We're gonna break that fast with something called communion. Communion is a, is represents what Jesus did on the cross for us. We'll take that communion, we'll reflect on the cross, his broken body, his shed blood. We'll worship. We'll do it as a family. Kids are welcome. We got, we got limited space. And then after that, we know the tomb is empty. No one is on the cross anymore. Jesus is alive. So we're going to go eat some tacos and we're going to hang out and we're going to have some fun and your kids are going to have some fun. So that's good. And then we got Easter. So come and do this. with This is all a celebration of our Savior. Finally, number four, share your story. You have been saved for a reason. We are talking about a guy with a funny hat named Martin Luther today because he opened his mouth and he shared his story. Paul opened his mouth and shared his story. You can open your mouth and share your story. How has God changed you? I want you to reflect on that today. And I want you to reflect as we sing this last song on how Jesus might be calling you to share and proclaim him with the world that you love. Why don't you pray with me and we'll sing one more song. Father God, I thank you so much for your gospel. I thank you so much for the fact that you sent your son to do what we never could. The message of the gospel is that it is done. It is done. It is finished. It is paid for in full. We don't have to add to it. We can't take away from it. You have done it. Fill us with that hope today. Help us to embrace you fully and help us to just sing this last song from our hearts today. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.